Welcome to the Missouri Wind and Solar Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Shank, coming to you from our store in Seymour, Missouri. Each week with my co-host and Missouri Wind and Solar's general manager, David McDerris, we discuss the latest on self-reliant energy. Check out our additional educational information, including dates for our hands-on workshops conducted in Seymour, on our website, windandsolar.com. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing. So today, we managed to wrangle Sam in here with me and David, and the thing there is I tried to kill him yesterday out putting up the trackers over at the house, and so I thought I would have to be kind to him and be like, Sam, come in. Well, and this may not be a kindness. He's smiling. <laughs> so I'm hoping that doing the podcast is a plus. You know, some people might argue that that's more punishment. <laughs> Continuing punishment. He gets to sit and talk with me. <laughs> oh, every day. Every day. Every meal is a banquet. So we've got Sam here today because I think even McDerris would comment that Sam might know more about this than him. I, oh, that yes. might kill him, though. No. We, no, we might have kill to. Me. He knows more about it. I so our subject today is we want to talk about are some of the external environmental anomalies. Look at that, man. I strung a whole series yeah, of them together. Nice. That, that could happen that would impact your alternative energy plan. And what we're going to specifically talk today about are coronal mass ejections, mostly known as CME, and uh, electromagnetic pulses, known as EMPs. So EMPs and CMEs, we're just going to talk about how they might impact your power plant that you have at your turn of energy area. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, just kind of going over this and one of the things that, that I'd done a little reading beforehand was about the, the Carrington event that happened in, I think we decided it was like 1859, 1858, somewhere along in there. And it's real interesting. If you, if you haven't read about it, it's, it's worth a read. But a couple of takeaways that, that I got from that. And, and the Carrington event was a CME and what coronal mass ejection and the things that it did, and this is this is, again is 1859, so we're talking telegraphs and you know steam locomotives and that sort of thing. It several of the telegraph operators had reported that they could disconnect their telegraphs from, I guess back then then it would have been just as major batteries that they had, and they could still send because there was still power that was in the line that sort of thing. It majorly whacked a lot of the telegraph lines. Yeah. And the I, one of the things I was reading, I, I was trying to remember right offhand, I should have just printed it off and brought it in here, is the article I was reading estimated if that same event would have happened today, I forget what it indicated in billions of dollars of damage that it would have done. I mean, it was some kind of, it was a stupid number that just saying, you, you know, in looking at that and just saying, if that exact same thing happened again today, the damage would be... I would imagine now you, it's probably trillions of dollars worth It'd of damage. Trillions. I would yeah. say so. Some of <laughs> so, it irrevocable. Some of it you wouldn't be able to fix. And so, and the thing is, is this, I, we were talking about the, the CMEs and the EMP is just, just talking about it in, in big picture. And the, the CME, in this context, this isn't a theory. I mean, this has happened. 
this is part of science. I mean, it, it'll happen again. And so. Yeah, has happened since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we talked about that. What was it? You were saying, what, 19, 1980? Some, somewhere, somewhere in there, Quebec, yeah, yeah Quebec. when we had the, the blackout there, that they had some pretty serious problems, and that was that's considered to be a coronal mass ejection that caused that. And, I mean, I guess real quick, I mean, you can obviously read about this online and, and know, get into as deep you want to. I mean, basically, it's just the sun burps. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there's anything. Yeah, that's I don't think that's there's funny. anything more. Yeah, it's kind of a magnet. Uh, yeah, you know, it shoots a big, big uh, shot of uh, whatever is in there out, and we kind of get caught in the wake of it. It actually happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, coronal mass ejections happen all the time. And it's but just our, whether or not the Earth is in line as it comes through. If the Earth happens to be in its right. path, and then mm-hmm. then too, it has a lot to do with the our. Magnetic, magnetic fields, fields right. right and right. we can yeah. we can uh, shed off so much of that but it's right. just about that's what the aurora lights i mean a lot of the aurora mm-hmm. lights is, are due to that mm-hmm. so let's talk about that first in the context of you know in talk about alternative energy we're talking about solar panels we're talking about your wind turbine and all those components what what is a cme likely to do in that and what and now i think the big thing is now is that there is a prediction time that we can say, you know, there's this is happening, this will get here in, you know, I don't know if it's five days, five hours, five minutes. Yeah, it depends on the, the size of the coronal mass ejection. Otherwise, sometimes people will call it a solar storm. So the, the thing that you're really looking at with that has to do with that we now have some some early warning equipment, right? We can we have satellites close to the sun that can monitor for that sort of a thing. And you'll hear about it on the news once every three to six months where they shut down satellites or this or that for short periods of time because of a coronal mass ejection that they want to avoid that type of damage. So before we talk about what it can do, we should also know that there are some preventive measures already in place at a global level to help mitigate some of these risks. But they're not going to be sufficient for a major event like a Carrington type event. So what are we doing? What are we doing to prep for it? So the big thing that you're going to see there is that they have rapid shutdown capacities at certain power plants and, again, satellite communication systems that they will take offline and physically unhook equipment to allow for protection from this event. The the only way equipment is really going to get damaged, even if it's not stored in a Faraday cage, according to everybody's testing, is if the circuit's completed, right? So if you've got a radio and you're worried about if that radio will be damaged, just the same as if you're worried about lightning damaging it, if you unhook everything and the circuit's not complete, the electrons have nowhere to go. So it's not going to induce a field inside right. that equipment. So if we're talking about solar panels, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, I'm sitting here smiling because we put those massive freaking <laughs> truck trackers yeah. out there yesterday yeah. and we're like... How are we going to get up there and put solar panels on those? Those yeah. things are huge. I mean, but a solar panel unconnected would be fine, would it not? Because there, there's yes. nothing in it. Well, in there is there in there are some diodes in there. There that, are diodes that, that might. Yeah. So, be, but you can buy those mm-hmm. and have those on hand to replace, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of the testing I've seen regarding EMPs, which are very similar to a coronal mass ejection, you'll see where if the panel is unhooked when the testing is conducted. The panel's fine. Nothing happens. The panel works. The issue becomes when the circuit's completed and electrons are flowing through it, now it's able to, the EMP or CME induces a field and it will burn the diode out. So, yes, diodes are relatively inexpensive. They're easy to have on hand. Okay. Always a selling point. What's a diode? 19 cents. 
Okay, so we, and there's usually two or three in a panel. Yeah, yeah. So so small. That so that's and as a, as a note here, that should be one of the things that you should have in your. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You should have, work. have a solar, yeah. basically a solar. I mean, just like you should have more fuses yeah. and and mm-hmm. all those things, and and your yeah. right. and your MC4 wrench and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. You need yep. to have spare diodes, and if you don't, mm-hmm. call Sam; he can sell you something. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, to, and to touch on that real quick, we actually had a very recent sort of a field expedient test regarding this very thing. I had a customer who had an electric fence, which is a very very high voltage, low amperage device. The wires never touched his solar panel, but his panel was within about six inches of the electric fence where he had installed it. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing that, that was going on and that was a head-scratcher for a minute was his solar panel produced voltage, no amperage. Well, that's usually a symptom of a blown diode, but the problem was he'd had no lightning or anything nearby that caused it. After some head-scratching and discussing back and forth, come to find out, he had had a real heavy dew that day before, oh, and he actually had a little bit of sparking, an induced field from the electric fence that actually blew the diodes out of the panel six inches away from the electric fence. He replaced the diodes. Everything went back to working. Okay. So, again, it's just like anything else we've talked about, and I know we're wandering <coughs> off as we are wont to do. Rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make sure you've got some diodes in your work kit so you can mm-hmm. – Replaces. That's a, that's a simple fix that will mm-hmm. save you a lot of headache. Yep. Okay. So so going back to the, to the subject at hand, so if we have this CME, mm-hmm. if it's, from what I hear you saying, if it's light enough, we're, we're used to it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. If there's more of a heavier degree of it and we know it's coming, the thing to do would be to start disconnecting stuff. Disconnect, disconnect equipment. Yeah. Yep. That is your number one thing you yeah. can do is disconnect and, equipment. And most specifically, and we'll probably, I think we'll talk about this more as we talk about the MP, is with the CME, you want to disconnect the, the solar panels, your leads directly out of the solar panel. Mm-hmm. And if you left that mm-hmm. cable laying on the ground, yeah, and then you want to disconnect, go to the other end and disconnect your where it's coming back into your charge controller, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that line laying out there is the real danger mostly, right? Because yes. that's what it's going to find. It's going to mm-hmm. hit that, and then it's going to want to run down that, correct? Yes. Yeah, it, it basically acts like a radio antenna. It's a big, so, yeah, it's a big antenna. So there are ways to help mitigate that additionally, especially if you have something that you're not necessarily going to have time for, like an EMP or something like that. A lot of times, and you'll see it in radio equipment, which is kind of where I got down this rabbit hole of EMPs and CMEs, was was being an amateur radio operator. Sam just recently, yeah, you just recently and, got uh, your license, yes. right? Yeah, but a lot of times what you'll do to suppress noise, which is just electromagnetic interference, which is EMP, CME, is just a whole lot of that, are the installation of ferrites. The background of the Big Bang. There you go. There you go. But the installation of ferrites, specifically broadband ferrites, can help. All right, to, hold on, okay. hold on, hold on. What's a? I mean, when you say ferrite, I uh-huh. think of iron, right? Because it's in basically, yeah. So a, a ferrite. What it's a ferrite? A lot of time is, is going to be a. You know what a ferrite is? A type of of metal it's oxide. A <laughs> That's a ferrite. Thank you, oh. David. All right. It's a. It's a type go back of. To, go back a, to sleep. It's basically a. Usually, there you're going to have two types. You're going to have a clip-on ferrite or a ferrite toroid. They're just what's a. It? What's it look like? Just a, a little ring. You, so you remember the old cathode ray TVs, the ring magnet don't, in the back? Don't hurt my feelings, Sam. The ring magnet in the back? So if you take the <laughs> copper winding off of all of that, which a lot of kids would do when the TV would quit working and they'd scrap the copper out and you've got that magnet. Well, that material, that magnetite, 
of ferrite basically looks like that, like that ring magnet out of an old speaker or a TV. It looks like that, except it's not magnetized. So what you would do is you install the wire through it, and it basically acts as a suppressor. It, it kind of slows down the transmission well, so, of interference. So, I mean, like, if you've got, like, you know, yeah. what we just did out yeah. there, uh-huh. there's a, what, it's 208 feet. Uh-huh. Where do you put that? I mean, so how do you... your, your best place to install ferrites are close to the device you want to protect. So, so like coming on, into the wall, the back wall? Or? Well, we're going to do them in a couple different places. So to protect your diodes, if you have ferrites wrapped directly around the base of the solar panel right before the diode box, that reduces the distance of an antenna that you have now. And the more loops you make through a ferrite, the more protection you can provide. So you can either do that by adding additional ferrites and have like four of them on the wire, or you can wrap the wire through it as an inductor three or four times to help suppress that pulse. And that doesn't only help with EMPs and CMEs, it does a lot to help you from induced fields from lightning and things of that nature. Okay, nothing, yeah, nothing's that was going to be you. my other question. So yeah. what else, what other benefits do we get out of this? That, and so lightning's going to be a big... Yep, lightning's a big one. And so nothing in the world is going to protect you from a direct lightning hit on something, right? But you but can, a nearby but you hit, can, it suppresses that pulse. I was going to say, I mean, I might be off on this and you guys can, I mean, we'll have something to laugh about. I mean, lightning doesn't always have to be the... God's finger writing on the ground, right? right. I mean, you can just because it's just that build up of static, mm-hmm. so you could have a lot less. Yeah, and so I mean, nothing's going to survive a straight. Yeah, exactly. Boom. But if you've got this and you're using this, you're going to be able to withstand a lot of those smaller ones that might mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. that might have damaged. Yeah, a lightning, Is that right? Yeah, lightning that hits the tree fifty or a hundred feet yeah, away from yeah, you. Yeah. Suddenly, now you don't get that induced field, and you're and you don't lose diodes because that's actually a very common one where when people will call and the panel again makes voltage, no amperage. Is well, have you had a big thunderstorm? Oh yeah, we had a big storm a few days ago. Well, look at your panel, make sure it's not been hit directly. But if it's not, it means the diodes are bad. Those ferrites would have protected the diodes from that pulse. Right. Okay, I don't know if you've ever been outside in a lightning storm, but. One hits close, and all of a sudden, all the hair stands up on you. I mean, yeah, that's mm-hmm. bad. That's bad. I mean, your, your solar panel's taking it at that. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's I close, don't care about that, my solar panels. Well, at that I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> care you know, about. If you've ever been outside and felt that? I mean, I care about like, it. Holy cow! This crystal solar panel. Find one of my shoes in Green yeah, County. Gonna, that's what I'm worried about. It's <laughs> a smoking yeah, shoelaces on the chin on that deal because it's just too close, mm-hmm. uh, and they can't. You know, just that electric. I mean, you got mm-hmm. all that. Because I mean, what you're feeling is the static electricity well, yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, you're just feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, so do we? Do we sell that? Do we sell the ferrite? Not currently. No, no, we don't sell ferrites at this time. That sounds like something that GM would have remedied a long time. I, I like the little critters. They're, they bite you. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'll send you some links. Wes. By the time this gets published, we'll have them available. Jeez. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So. If we've got that protection, and what would and I know I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that a you know fifty percent of the time that amount of protection is going to handle? And again, if it's a it's the finger of God moment, right? There's nothing that's right. So so what a ferrite does primarily with the types of energy we're talking about, it doesn't totally stop it. What it does is it slows the rate of transmission because you're forcing – you're basically creating a little magnetic shield created by the very induced field. So electrons don't like to flow in tight loops whenever they're alternating current like that. So whenever you wrap it through a ferrite, you're actually slowing down the electrons. 
that becomes important for our next step, which would be what's called a varisistor. Lots of different companies make them, and they sell them under all sorts of names. The big ones are going to be like your EMP shield is what people see a lot. But a varisistor, a midnight surge protection device, is the exact same thing. It's just varisistors. And what that does is it shunts electrical, like overvoltage and overcurrent, to earth. A lot of times it, they'll have like a 14-gauge wire, but for that brief moment of an EMP or something like that, or lightning, it will shunt 10,000 amps or 14-gauge wire straight to earth. And it happens so fast that it will a lot of times save your system. That's the reason those ferrites are important is because EMP specifically happens much faster than lightning. So this is a speed thing. It, it slows it down. Yes, it, it slows to throw it down. It off. And so a lot of times if you're going to install ferrites like you were asking, you'll have them close to the panels. And then you'll install them close to your inverter, close to your charge controller, and then you'll have your surge protection devices either right out by the panels, by the controller, or preferably both, depending on how you have everything configured. The more surge protection you have, the better off you are protected. The thing with a varisistor, though, is if you exceed its capacity, it's a one-and-done thing. So, But it's got to it's gotta be cheaper than oh, yeah. anything else you're going to... 100 bucks for a good midnight surge protection device. Maybe you need four of them on a system. When we're talking $15,000 worth of parts, that's the cheapest insurance you'll ever buy. Right, right, right. Okay. And so to kind of continue on that trend, the reason a varisistor doesn't necessarily help you as much on a CME is because of the duration. EMP, lightning, they Boom. happen in an instant, and it, it's over, right? Three seconds later, it's done. CME, solar storms, can last for days. So although it may help you during the initial start of that, your biggest protection is to pay attention, look for signs of coronal mass ejection. If there's a warning about it and they say, hey, this is going to happen, right. you probably need to shut your equipment down. And I understand that may mean that you don't have power, you don't have lights. Perhaps that means you need some sort of a backup system in place in the event of that. But once the event is over, then you can re-energize your equipment again. Okay. And a lot of times there will be warning signs just that you can pick up naturally. Extended transmission distance for certain radio frequencies is a good sign that there's increased solar activity. Because radio waves, electromagnetic waves, are basically light. They're just a, a wavelength that we can't see. Since they behave in that way, a lot of times light, if it bounces off of the stratosphere or something like that, radio waves do the same thing. As they travel in that straight line, if you start to get bounce on frequencies that shouldn't bounce, like the popular two-meter band, there's increased solar activity at that point. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today. If you have a question you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast or just want to say hello, email us at radio at windandsolar.com. As always, check out our store at windandsolar.com and buy some stuff. Your financial support underwrites our educational outreach, like the podcast, YouTube channel, and local STEM collaboration. It also keeps Lucy and her doggy chicken treats. Thanks again for listening.